listening to this sermon from Garden City Methodist Church. We want to invite you to worship with us each Sunday at 10.30 a.m., either in person or online. You can come to our beautiful sanctuary at 62 Varnado Avenue, Garden City, Georgia, or you can worship with us online as we stream our services at GardenCityUMC.com. Our scripture this morning is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, for the sake of the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Do not be ashamed then of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join me in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. And for this reason, I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know the one in whom I have put my trust. And I'm sure that he is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted to him. Hold to that standard of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. (laughs) I went to a Christian school in the 1990s. And if I had to use one word to kind of describe the youth group Christian school culture at the time, it was extreme, okay? You may have missed this. Maybe your kids went to this stuff, or maybe you're too young for this stuff, but in in this exact age, in this exact time, in, in the 90s and early 2000s, everything was extreme. If you remember, like, you know, your Doritos were, weren't just regular Doritos. They were extreme flavor-blasted Doritos. And so we, like, we had extreme flavor-blasted youth group. I mean, it was just like, um, that's what they wanted. They wanted you to not just have a normal faith. They wanted you to have extreme faith. You could just hear the guitars. Meedly, 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 extreme faith. That's what they were pushing in youth group in the 90s. I remember one time uh, we had this uh, we had this chapel speaker in in um, 
in high school. We had chapel every Tuesday in middle school and high school. And we had this one guy, um, and he was like, we had him for spiritual emphasis week. And he was like this traveling evangelist. And this dude was extreme. He had this thing where he would like put three table, three chairs on a table. And you didn't want to be in the third table. And he would throw the third table across the room. And then that one, and you didn't want to be in the second table. And he would, or second chair. You'd throw the second chair across the room. You want to be in this chair. I mean, it was so extreme. Man, it got these kids fired up. And at one point, he was talking about how much he loved Jesus and how much he just was so on fire for Jesus. And he laid down on the floor and cried. We actually invited him back a couple years later, and he preached the exact same sermon and laid down and cried in the exact same spot. And it kind of made me wonder if it was, uh, if he was as extreme or if he just had an act. But when I read stuff like, this, like this passage today, in some translations, you know, it says, fan the flames of the gift of God. That's kind of what it reminds me of. It kind of reminds me of this call to be extreme. And we can read passages like, like this where Paul's talking about, you know, he's writing this from jail. He's talking about how he's been persecuted for the gospel and, and he's encouraging Timothy to fan the flames of his faith and Sometimes I can read this stuff and it makes me feel like I'm, maybe I'm not living extreme enough for Jesus. Nobody's put me in jail lately. Maybe I'm just not like doing it extreme enough. Maybe my fire isn't burning hot or bright enough. But I think we really owe it to ourselves to look into this metaphor of, of fanning the flames of our faith. Because what I've experienced from this extreme teaching uh, when my younger days is that sometimes people get burned up <laughs> when they fan the flames that hard. Instead of fanning the flame of their faith, I think what they were trying to do was pour lighter fluid onto our faith and make us burn bright. But if you know about, you know, really tending a fire for a long time, fire fluid's good for starting that fire and getting it going. It's not good for having a fire that's healthy and lasts a long time. So we've got to ask ourselves, what does it really mean for us to fan the flame of our faith? First, we have to ask, what is the gift that he's talking about? He's talking about rekindling, fanning the flame of the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. I think the gift may have been maybe an early ordination that Paul had ordained Timothy into some kind of like ordained ministry, and that's the gift that he's talking about. Maybe the gift is, is some particular gift of the Spirit, like healing or tongues or something, something like that that was, was happening a lot in the early church. Maybe the gift was just the fact that he had faith at all, and it was his sincere faith that he talked about being passed on through the generations. Maybe the gift is different for different people. But the gift comes from God, and it's the thing that God has put inside of you that, that connects you with God. So maybe the gift that God gave you is different than the, God, the gift that God gave me, but God has given everybody some kind of gift. So what happens 
when we fan a flame. Why do we fan flames? I remember when I was a kid, my grandparents had a fireplace that we only used once that I can ever remember, and it was during the blizzard of 93 when the power went out and we were visiting them, and we had to, like, light a fire to stay warm. Um, and so they had one of those accordion things. You know what I'm talking about? And um, I always, like, would play with it when I was at their house, but I kind of thought that this, we used this accordion thing to put the fire out because, you know, you blow on a birthday candle and it puts the candle out. But no, the, the accordion thing was actually to stoke the fire because fire requires oxygen to burn. Oxygen is, is the fuel that, that keeps the fire going. The oxygen is the thing that's being burned up. So what is the fire? What is the oxygen that fuels the fire of our faith? You know, I think if you were to ask the chapel speaker that came, I think that he would say that our emotional intensity, our extreme feelings could be the oxygen that fuels our faith. But I don't know about you, but I just don't have the extreme feelings in me. I can, I can gin up some extreme feelings for a little while, but those feelings burn up quick for me. Some people might say that the, the oxygen of our faith is effort, what we do for God, uh, going out and volunteering and, and being in the world. But, man, I, I, just, I don't know if I can sustain all that either, long term. I believe that when Paul told Timothy to fan the flame of his faith, what he was saying is that you need to inject more grace into your life. I believe that grace is the oxygen that gives us faith. And he goes on to talk about it. He talks about it uh, later on. You know, he said that he has saved us. He, he, he who saved us and called us with a holy calling in verse 9. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and his grace. This grace was given to us in Jesus Christ, before the ages began, some translations say before the beginning of time, Jesus was there and Jesus was giving us grace. But it has now been revealed through the appearance of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Grace is the oxygen that feeds the fire of our faith. Not effort. He, Paul said that outright. Not through our own works. Not through our own effort. Not our emotions. Not anything we can generate inside of ourselves. Grace is the oxygen that feeds our spiritual lives. Everything that we do for God comes in a response to something that God has already done for us through grace before the beginning of time. God's been giving us grace. So when he says to fan the flame of our faith, what I believe he is telling Timothy to do is to do things in your life that help you receive the grace of God. It doesn't come by more effort. 
It doesn't come by fanning as vigorously and hard as we can. You wear your arms out that way. And it doesn't help your fire all that much. Think about when you stoke a fire. Think about with that little accordion thing. You just stoke it. Bellows. Hey, that would have been great for me to look up before I started this sermon, huh? <laughs> Bellows. Thanks, Chris. The way we inject more grace into our lives is through a thing that is called spiritual discipline. Now, spiritual discipline sounds bad because we don't really like the word discipline, right? But spiritual discipline just means the things that we do that open up space in our hearts and our lives for God to enter and give us grace. It's not about the effort that we're putting in for God. It's about the space that we're creating for God. It's about showing up for God being faithful to to show up for God and then expecting him to be faithful in grace for us. Now, you know, I can't talk about spiritual disciplines without referencing the classic work of spiritual disciplines, The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. It's just such a good book. You got to read it. But here's what he says about grace and works when it comes to spiritual discipline. He says, willpower will never succeed in dealing with the deeply ingrained habits of sin. Emmett Fox writes, as soon as you resist mentally any undesirable or unwanted circumstance, you thereby endow it with more power, power which it will use against you, and you will have depleted your own resources to that exact extent. Heine Arnold concludes, as long as we think we can save ourselves by our own willpower, that will only make the evil in us stronger than ever. This same truth has been experienced by the great writers of the devotional life, from St. Augustine to St. Francis to John Calvin to John Wesley, from Teresa of Avila to Juliana of Norwich. Willpower has no defense against the careless word, the unguarded moment. The will has the same deficiency as the law. It can only deal with externals. It is incapable of bringing about the necessary transformation of the inner spirit. God has given us the disciplines of the spiritual life as a means of receiving his grace. The disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. I love that idea that that willpower isn't enough especially when we're dealing with those deeply ingrained habits and problems that we, we acknowledge are problems in our lives, but we're powerless to deal against it. It's almost like, you know, if I tell you not to think of an elephant, whatever you do, don't think about an elephant. Well, I mean, what are you thinking about? An elephant, of course. Willpower can't deal with those deeply ingrained things. The more you think, okay, don't lie, don't lie, don't lie, you're, like, you're thinking about lying, <laughs> You need the grace of God to come and do that. And especially those deeply ingrained prejudices that that we've grown up with, that we just almost just can't help but just come up. We can't fight against those things by concentrating on those things. We have to... We have to acknowledge those things and invite the grace of God in to do that inner soul work that we need to fix it. We fan the flames by by 
attending to our spiritual disciplines faithfully. It's not about how extreme we can be for God. It's about how consistent we can be with God. Prayer, worship, study, fasting, silence. Those are the things that give us the space in our lives for the oxygen of grace to come and do the real transforming work of spirituality. It's how we allow the spirit to fuel the fire in our souls for God. It's not about extreme pouring lighter fluid on our faith. It's about fanning the oxygen in there. So if if grace through spiritual disciplines is the way we fan oxygen onto our faith, I, I think he makes it clear that Spiritual disciplines are, are the way we get it. Relationships are kind of the kindling. In this metaphor, I, I think the relationships we form are kind of the wood that, that helps burn our faith. He says that Lois and Eunice passed that faith down, his mother and his grandmother. And Paul laid hands on Timothy and confirmed him. And Timothy received sound teaching from Paul. We cannot do faith alone. Our faith is nourished and fed by spiritual relationships around us. A me and Jesus spirituality is not something that's healthy. Sometimes we go through seasons where that's all we can manage, but it's not a healthy kind of spirituality. We've got to have other people around us. We've got to have a family of faith encouraging us on if we're going to fan the flames of our faith and receive the grace. Because sometimes, like, sometimes there's just stuff that, okay, so we're, we're fixing to do communion, right? My favorite part of communion. And one of the, the best privileges that I can have as a pastor is to serve communion. But I love it when we read the communion liturgy together. And there's a part where we confess our sins before God and one another, right? And then I say, in the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. But then I get to hear, a whole, you, you get to hear that from me, from one person. But I get to hear a whole room of people tell me that my sins are forgiven. Do you know how affirming that is? Do you know how great it is to hear the words come out of other people's mouth telling me that my sins are forgiven? It's great. It's like one of the coolest parts of being a pastor is hearing that from all of you to tell me that my sins are forgiven. It's wonderful to have other people around to impart that grace of God to you. Sometimes I just, when I have trouble hearing that that my... (laughs) Believing that I could be forgiven, it really helps to have a whole room full of people tell me so. That's why having relationships and spiritual family is good for the kindling of our faith. Okay, so if spiritual disciplines are the way that we receive the oxygen of grace, if relationships are the kindling that help build our, our, our faith, there's one other thing I think we need to do that Paul talks about. He's talking about, okay, so like no matter how hard you, you try to strike a match and no matter how hard you try to fan a flame, it's never going to catch if it's underwater, right? It's just never going to happen. 
if your wood is wet or if you've just got all kinds of non-flammable stuff just, just smothering that area, your flame is not going to, you've got to clear out a space to allow the oxygen to flow in. You can't smother your fire. If you're smothering it, no matter how hard you're fan, you're not going to get it going. And, and Paul talks about a number of the things that smother faith and that he's telling, telling Timothy to avoid. Like in, in, in verse 8, he says, Do not be ashamed then of the testimony about our Lord Jesus Christ or me of his prisoner. I think shame is one of the things that smothers our faith. When we're burdened, when we're, when we're just held down by shame, it, it's almost like no, sometimes it can feel like no amount of grace can counteract just this burdensome shame that we have. We've got to clear away some shame to give us grace, space for grace to, to come and do its work. It says, God did not give us a spirit of cowardice or of fear, but rather a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. I think fear smothers faith. When we get afraid of people that aren't like us, when we get afraid of of what could happen, when we get afraid of of all the the worldly nonsense that goes on, I mean, that just, just is death to faith. Hatred is death to faith. You know, Paul... There's, a, there's so many times when Paul got, got taken captive prisoner in jail, and he never hated his captors. He always did the best he could to serve and to, to love them. Because hatred and fear smother the kindling that God is trying to give us. Timidity, he says, smothers our faith. But when we allow fear, when we allow hatred, when we allow shame to really get its roots in us, that can be a hard environment for grace to take root. And the great thing about this, the great, the great thing about, about allowing grace to be the foundation for our faith, the oxygen that our faith burns on, is that if our faith has plenty of grace flowing around, if our hearts have plenty of grace in there, if we're kindled by the love and support of a community, if we've been fanning that by spiritual disciplines, if we've cleared away all of the fear and the hatred and the shame, and then God does call you to do something extreme, God calls you to step out in faith, well, then you'll be ready to do it. You'll burn bright. But the point is not being extreme. The point is the healthiness of the fire. So my question for you today is, is how's your fire doing? There have been times in my life not too long ago when I felt like the flames of my faith were just a smoldering ember that was about to go out. So much was smothering it. Have you felt like you've been flailing around with a ton of effort but it's not doing much for your faith because you're not taking the time to receive grace? Are you trying to fan, but you've got too much stuff in the way? 
Today, God is calling us to tend to the fire of our souls, to be intentional about doing the things that put you into a place where you can receive grace from God. And lucky for us, one of the great ways where we can put ourselves in a great place to receive grace from God is by participating in the sacraments. Communion is what John Wesley called a means of grace. Communion is a physical vehicle that God uses to drive grace into our bodies. And at the at the United Methodist Church and in all Methodist churches, we practice an open table, which means that our table is open for anybody who wants to participate. Anybody who has a desire to connect with Jesus is welcome at our table. Because it's not our table, really. It's Jesus' table. And Jesus wants everybody. So we're about to pray and prepare our hearts to receive if you're worshiping with us online, then I, I pray that you will go in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, fanning the flame of faith with grace. Let's pray.